Hello, and welcome to ECE Tech Talks. I'm Barry Sullivan, ACETA Program Development Director, and with me is John Janowick, ACETA Executive Director. Today, we're speaking with Sue J. King Liu, Dean and Roy W. Carlson Professor of Engineering at UC Berkeley. Prior to her current role, Sue J. has served as Chair of the Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science and Vice Provost for Academic and Space Planning at UC Berkeley. Sujay, thanks for joining us. Very welcome, Barry. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, you were sharing an interesting anecdote uh, from, I think it was before you actually went into electrical engineering. Uh, John, uh, I don't know if you got a chance to really read that story, but uh, why don't don't you have uh, Sujay tell us? No, I did. I did. And and Sujay, you know, it's funny. Everyone has a different circuitous route to getting into engineering. And, and yours, the story that you shared, uh, which I'd love to have you share with the audience, um, is, is really a wonderful one. So uh, if you can, just kind of give us a, give us a little insider uh, on, on how you found your path to engineering and, and all the way you know, through industry into academia. Well, that's a pretty circuitous and long path, but maybe I'll just start by telling this uh, short story. It's pretty funny. Um, when I was a freshman in college, at that time, I was thinking I'd be a pre-med. Um, my roommate, I think, who was majoring in electrical engineering, uh, one day exposed herself in a lab to hydrofluoric acid. Now, at the time, I did not realize it was hydrofluoric acid. I just knew she had some, some kind of exposure in her class lab. And um, she came to me in excruciating pain because her thumb was swollen up to twice the normal size. Um, And I learned later, of course, if you get exposed to hydrofluoric acid, you don't feel it right away. That's why it's kind of dangerous. And only when it gets absorbed into your bones and starts dissolving in your bones, then you start to feel the pain. So she was in a panic. I was in a panic. And um, so I I borrowed the car from another uh, housemate and um, somehow had to drive my roommate to the uh, student health clinic. Now, the interesting thing is that I had no driver's license and I actually never bothered to learn to drive. I was only 17 at the time. And also the car that we borrowed was a stick shift. And so I had to figure out how to drive a manual transmission car uh, safely to the clinic, which was, uh, let's say, less than a mile away. But you know, I remember it being a very, very uh, rocky uh, trip and somehow made it there. And I do remember that I didn't even know how to parallel park in front of the clinics. I blocked the the road um, to get her into the clinic in time. So I I think it was a miracle really that we got there without getting into any accident. Um, But I do remember making a mental note to myself to definitely avoid working in whatever field that my roommate was working in. So, so, so that didn't discourage you from engineering. That's, that's pretty good. Well, no, because I I think I somehow forgot about that a little bit later during that freshman year, I took courses in organic chemistry, biology, and I'd realized that I had no stomach for, you know, killing mice and looking at their heart beating heart cells under the microscope or counting um, flies under a microscope either. And I really didn't like organic chemistry at all. So when I ended up transferring to Stanford University, I decided to um, major in engineering. And, and I knew that you know Silicon Valley was just um, rising at that time. I knew that electrical engineers um, helped people like me- medical devices and so on. So that was my view of electrical engineering at the time. And that's how I ended up majoring in electrical, electrical engineering. Now I ended up 
staying for a fifth year master's program and uh, served as a teaching assistant. And I enjoyed that quite a bit. But also while I was a master's student, I learned, I, I got to uh, meet many PhD students who were doing research. And one of them uh, turned out that this my future husband, but uh, one of them was so excited about his research in semiconductor devices and technology. I remembered you know, him being excited to going to the annual conference. And I thought, wow, that looks interesting. Maybe I should try that out. And eventually I ended up working in that area. And it turned out semiconductor devices and technology requires work in the microfabrication lab. And right. that involves HF, right? hydrofluoric acid. And I actually didn't realize until many years later that Oh, like I, that was the field, the field I ended up in was the field that I told myself to watch out and avoid. <laughs> so that's quite interesting. And many, many years later, I, I did meet and you know, discuss this, this incident with my former roommate. And yeah. you know, we laugh when we recall. But interestingly, also, the teaching assistant um, for that class, um, I happened to, to meet her. She... Um, turned out to be one of the former directors of DARPA. And she okay. was a TA at, at this, this university. And she said, oh, I was a TA for that class. <laughs> it's like such a small world. You no know, all, all these EE women ending up to, you know, in various roles in the semiconductor industry, um, yeah. sharing that little bit of uh, memorable time together when we were students. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and, and Sue Jay, you know, uh, so so glad that you weren't scared off by that <laughs> early uh, uh, encounter. Um, you know, you really have had a, a well. Be, besides, you know, being a, a leader in uh, engineering education, um, you know, you've had a very prolific uh, research career, starting at uh, uh, Xerox Palo Alto Research Center, uh, Xerox Park, uh, as it was known. Um, authoring more than five hundred publications, ninety six patents. Um, really quite quite a uh, an impressive career um but you know we enjoyed the the anecdote but thinking back to when you were starting out you know there weren't a lot of female role models uh for somebody contemplating engineering uh back then and then there still aren't enough today um how did how, how did this affect uh, your interest in the field? You know, was engineering uh, something that you had a childhood interest in? Or, uh, again, obviously overcame uh, any misgivings about uh, hydrofluoric acid. But uh, yeah. uh, tell, tell us about what, what drew you into engineering, uh, despite you know, the, the, the lack of uh, role models. Yes. Well, as a child growing up, I certainly was very much an introvert, so I didn't really necessarily pay attention too much to what other people thought of me. So, And I enjoyed taking things apart to figure out how they work and usually putting them back together successfully. And so, you know, I, I sort of enjoyed, you know, learning how things work, how to solve problems, um, but also, you know, just wanting to help people. So I knew that engineering um, engineers design and build things that help people, you know, or protect people or make life more enjoyable. That's what attracted me to engineering. And I think um, I do remember being uncomfortable being you know, the only woman in the electrical engineering course um, and feeling like I might maybe, I, I felt shy to reach out and collaborate with other classmates. So I do remember feeling more isolated and, uh, pretty much ended up doing all the homework and, and studying and in projects on my own. And looking back, 
you know, the advice I give to students today is to really try to get to know your classmates, learn together, you know, collaborate. Um, it's more fun that way. You learn more and you have more time to do other fun things in life um, if you spend less time trying to figure everything else out um, uh, by yourself. So I do remember, and, and I think today there are more women in engineering so that it is easier for female students. Um, but still, there's, there's room to you know, close the gender gap in electrical engineering for sure. Well, I, I love hearing your talk about taking things apart and uh, sometimes putting them back together again. Uh, my mom used to set things aside for Barry to take apart because uh, she knew that I probably wouldn't be able to get them back together again. Uh, so I believe there are always things that were like uh, past their lifetime. Um, but uh, yeah, when when you talk about uh, you know uh, you know gender diversity, why has it been so hard to move the dial with respect to diversity in the tech industry? Uh, you know, what are, what are the barriers? Uh, and as a dean, uh, well, what can you uh, do or what do you strive to do to make inroads in this area? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, I think companies do care. They want to see more diversity in their workforce and they're, they're just, you know, always struggling to see what they can do to maintain a more diverse workforce. It turns out now that there are more women who study engineering, there are more women who get hired into technical roles. But the rate of attrition is actually significantly higher for women in technical tracks than men. And when I talk with working professionals, they say it's because they don't really see much opportunity to continue to move up say, in the technical ladder or the management ladder. And I think that that's why we need to pay attention to perhaps um, implicit bias uh, in, in the way that we hire and promote and you know, advance people. Um, but I think the more, more role models that we have, and a diversity of women in various prominent roles in engineering, the more likely that young girls will realize that engineering is a, a field that's rewarding and is a place that, you know, is a field that where they belong and they can contribute and make a positive impact on society. I think um, one of the things I'm doing as Dean is to really communicate more effectively the impact of engineering innovations uh, for in enhancing you know, the quality of life for people in our in our society, um, so that that I think that will help attract a greater diversity of students, uh, but also trying to transform the culture of engineering to be more welcoming and inclusive of a diversity of um, perspectives and ideas. So those are things I think that will make a, a positive difference to help you know diversify the field and also therefore one of my priorities as dean is to transform the culture of engineering to make it more welcoming and inclusive so that people from a diversity of backgrounds will feel welcome, uh, that they belong, um, because I think that's most important for them to reach their full potential uh, and for us to benefit, um, to reach our collective potential as, you know, as engineering teams and as a society. Okay. Um, well, the past year has you know, been an extraordinary one for, for all of us. Uh, and I'll say, you know, educators uh, in particular. Um, but, you know, we have observed um, a lot of, say, uh, adjustments uh, being made, people moving uh, online and maybe, um, you know, learning uh, some things from the experience. Um, you know, when you look back on that, you know, how has uh, COVID-19 and the adjustments uh you've made, your colleagues have made there at uh, UC Berkeley uh, over the past years. How has it affected your views on education, excuse me, uh, engineering education 
uh, or edu actually education in general. Okay, that's, um, well, there's multi multiple parts to the to my answer to this question. So first of all, I think the shift to online and remote learning, you know, online teaching and remote learning really has highlighted the, the benefit of technology, you know, for society. You know, how could we have possibly continued um, our educational and research programs? And how has society been able to function uh, without, you know, information and communication technology and, you know, devices and platforms that we are using even here today? So, you know, taking advantage of that to highlight to future students, you know, this is what engineers do. They design and build systems that will um, transform our future. You know, who would have ever guessed that we could continue teaching and learning um, without seeing ever seeing each other in person? Um, so that's one one thing that we've learned um, that we can that is an opportunity for us to share with the you know future prospective students the the power of engineering. Now another learning is that we can actually do a lot of teaching online and remotely, um, thanks in part to advancements in technology which have enabled us to um, have home, uh, well, let's see, very compact um, devices that for students to learn at home. So, you know, just being able to have affordable kits um, that we can send to students for them to work on home, to do the experiments at home, that would not have been possible, I think, even five years ago. But so many things have been miniaturized, like oscilloscopes, digital multimeters, and whatever, you know, like all these in the simulation programs to help students learn electrical engineering um, from their homes. That is something that I thought was really um, amazing because I, I hadn't paid so close attention to electrical engineering um, education in recent years since I became dean. So I think that, that um, this gives us the idea, well, maybe we can actually educate, help to educate a broader range, you know, increase access to engineering education. Maybe we can help students in um, developing regions of the world also learn um, with these affordable, well, somewhat of more affordable, um, you know, tools, equipment that we can have students use at home. Um, and then uh, thirdly, like, well, now students, faculty have learned to use online um, tools uh, Zoom has a lot of features and, you know, the other online tools uh, for online collaboration. The faculty have learned how to use these tools. And, and even if we, when we return to fully in-person instruction, these um, resources are available to enhance the student learning experience. So I think the, the force, uh, the, the pivot to online education has really accelerated, let's say, uh, advancements in ed engineering education, in my view. So uh, enhancing the student learning experience, increasing access. But, and finally, one thing that has highlighted is inequities. So we, we know that we would like to increase the diversity of students who study and you know, learn engineering, uh, but then a lot of them don't have equal access to the, to the stable internet connection. They don't have you know, uh, up-to-date laptop devices and things like this to be able to participate in um, live discussions or to even take exams in a timely manner and submit them by the deadline. So uh, the pandemic has also um, highlighted the existing inequities in access to, uh, to technology and therefore engineering education. And um, that has inspired a lot of us to really work to make our um, courses more accessible to a wider range of, of students.
That's great. That's very interesting. It's uh, um, it is really sort of showing a light on both the potential and the challenges uh, that uh, you know these remote learning uh, technologies present. Yes. Well, uh, Sujay, thank you. Uh, I think that uh, about wraps up our session for today. Uh, we want to thank everyone uh, for joining us and uh, a special thanks again to, to Sujay for spending some time with us today. Be sure to join us next time for another captivating conversation with thought leaders in ECE. 